Welcome to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. This is a space for community, healing, hope, and education around topics of rescue and growth. Our prayer for this series is that it illuminates a deeper understanding of struggles within and around us, as well as God's profound love and redemptive light in Jesus Christ. Well, hi, I want to welcome you to Deep Light, uh, a ministry of Park City's Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Davis. I serve as one of the pastors of this church, and we are so grateful that you have decided to spend a little time with us. Today, we're going to be meeting with Gil and Lynn Sheehan. I've known them for just a little over 20 years. Uh, They've been members of Park City's Presbyterian Church for a long time, and we have had a lot of fun on the journey. There's been some highs, there's been some lows. And today, as we talk uh, to them just about their life together and together in Christ and what it means to be husband and wife and mom and dad, we're in a series on addiction, particularly to alcohol and other drugs. And so this is the topic that we have um, begun to explore over the next several weeks in the fall of 2022. So we're really glad that you're with us. And I'm very, very happy to spend a little time with Lynn and Gil and just talk about their life. And I want people to get to know you pretty quickly. So I'm going to say this. Lynn is here to correct anything that Gil might say that has some level of fabrication regarding the truth. Um, I've heard their story a number of times, um, but this couple loves to laugh. They also love to go deep. They're a couple that trust deeply in the Lord, His power, and in the power of prayer. So I want to begin, before we dive into the topic of, of addiction, I want everybody to know how you guys met and just the story of how the Lord brought you together. So Gil, I'll let you start, and then Len, you can correct along the way anything that might need to be restated. Well, I would say quite simply, a modern-day miracle. Um, I uh, was young. I had just moved to Dallas from uh, from Kentucky. What part of Kentucky? Uh, well, let's just say Lexington, Kentucky, University <laughs> of Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, graduate. And uh, I came down here, um, and by God's grace, went to work for a professional basketball team, the Dallas Mavericks. And um, I was being discipled by, I was a fairly new Christian, and I was being discipled by uh, a gentleman at um, SMU who headed up Campus Crusade for Christ. And um, I had was not dating anyone, and I told him that I had been walking with the Lord for a little while, and I felt like I was ready for God to show me somebody because I wanted to be married someday. And uh, his, his advice was good advice. He goes, well, usually to find the right person, be in the right place. And so um, he invited me to come to a Campus Crusade conference taking place in Fort Worth, Texas. And at the time, they had all the schools in what is now the Big 12 coming together uh, to hear Christian speakers. Uh, so I went with a friend, and uh, at the conference, there was probably 800 to 1,000 co-eds, and I looked to the front and I saw this beautiful blonde and I hit my friend because I talk like this a lot. And I said, man, I said, that girl's beautiful. And I think I might need to have a ministry in her life. (laughs) And uh, literally, that was just tongue in cheek talk, which I do a lot of. And on the way after the the speaker ended and we were leaving, uh, he went up and she was right in front of us. Do you remember anything the speaker talked about? Do you remember any part of the message that that speaker gave? I'm just curious. 
No. It was a little while ago. It was it was a long time ago, and I don't remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so your focus really was on the blonde at the front anyway. Yes, That's yes. my point. My always focus was on letting God be real in my life. <laughs> and so we're leaving, and uh, I was not going to say anything to her. I wasn't going to hit on her at a Christian conference. But uh, my friend grabbed her arm and said, what are you doing for lunch? This guy wants to have a ministry in your life. And so uh, at this point, I was very embarrassed, and she was very embarrassed, and she kind of walked out in the atrium of the hotel, so I followed her out and said, look, we've already been embarrassed, so the least you could do is have lunch with me someday. And uh, long story short, we had dinner, and I'll let her take it up from our first date, our first dinner. All right, so pick it up from there, Lynn. <clears throat> okay, so we did. We went to Hofbrau's here in Dallas, um, and we had a great time and talked and Gil took me home and I, my parents were in bed, but I went back to their bedroom and talked to them. And I said, I'm glad y'all are lying down because I have to tell you something. And they said, what? And I said, I just met the man I'm going to marry. I did not know that. Yes. I don't think I've ever heard that part of your story because I've only heard it from his side. And yeah. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have believed him if he said, that's what you said. So you said that to your mom and dad. I did. Wow. Yes. That's what you call yeah. a godly woman. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So that How did they respond? They were like, wow, because I you know, never said anything like that before. So they were like, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm glad wow. you had fun. You know. Wow. So I was a junior at TCU. And so we started dating from there, and he drove to Fort Worth a lot. And mm -hmm. he had a company car with the Dallas Mavericks, and he would change them out and, uh, when they reached a certain mileage. So he, his mileage was going up all the time. He was changing out cars, cars quite a, a lot. That's so yeah. funny. And then we dated my junior, senior year, and then got married when I graduated. So once you guys got married, what year was it? What, when, when 83. Was it? 83, mm -hmm. okay. So once you got married, then kind of where'd life take you? Well, pretty quickly, um, Lynn did not have a problem getting pregnant. And so I don't remember how long we'd been married, but not long. That's the mildest I've ever heard you describe that. Well, <laughs> so that's right. <pretty, laughs> well, I got a call at work and it was Lynn telling me that she had just left her OB-GYN and that she was pregnant. And I was excited and yet a little frightened and um, I guess shocked. And I had majored in psychology at TCU and my plan was to go to Dallas Theological Seminary and get my counseling degree. I felt called to Christian counseling. And so I had started that and then we discovered we were pregnant with Riley. So I ended up staying home. We had all three of our boys and... Um, was a stay-at-home mom, and I decided to step out of, of school to be able to be home with them. Mm -hmm. So so then you have the three boys. Mm -hmm. You guys eventually become part of PCPC, this mm -hmm. church, and as we were talking before the Deep Light started today, um, <coughs> I met you guys as you were both on the search committee that called me That's here right. to serve as youth pastor, which was 20, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, just last month in August, which is really crazy. Um, and wow, who would have thought, you know, 20 years later, we would still be here. And um, I'm just so, so grateful. So let's talk about your journey, you know, and let's start with you. You put that degree on hold, mm -hmm. but start with what you're doing now and how that kind of burden 
towards okay. counseling and stuff right. with, through a journey that now has you doing what you're doing now. Right. So we've been through a long journey, and we'll get to that later, but um, a journey of, of addiction in our family with two of our three sons mm -hmm. who are doing very well now. But in the process of that, um, the Lord led me to go back to school and get my counseling degree mm -hmm. in my 40s. So we, when Gil started his company 30 years ago, um, Barrington, this really nice young man came to work for us, and he was newly married, and he was going to work in the shipping department. He went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and our boys were like seven, five, and three. And I would go up there and talk to him all the time, and he said, you know, God has put this burden on my heart or this vision. To I'm, I've been sober for several years, and God's put a... Um, given me a vision of starting a home for young men who are newly in recovery from addiction and walking beside them in a structured sober living house. And that's just my goal and my dream. And Gil and I didn't know what addiction was. Mm -hmm. So we thought, well, that's nice. That sounds good. And then Somebody's going to need that. Someone's yeah. going to need that. <clears throat> fast forward 20 or so years from there, um, that was Chico West. Yeah. Which Chico, for those watching, uh, was the first episode on Deep Light in this series on addiction. Um, so that's amazing. I didn't know that's when you all met Chico. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that part of the story. It's so fascinating. Right. So God brought those words back to our mind when we knew we were facing addiction mm -hmm. and called him. And our boys both went through his program. Mm -hmm. And then when I, when I was getting my counseling degree, I needed to get my... 3,000 hours for yeah. the state licensing. And so I worked for Chico and began the family program there. And now I'm working at the Men of Nehemiah mm -hmm. and I'm running the family program there just to, because we've lived what we've lived, I, I have a you know passion to help families who are finding themselves in the midst of addiction, just to know there's hope mm -hmm. and that we can they can move forward. So somebody that's watching this now, if, if they are in addiction or they've been in addiction or they have a child that's in addiction, mm -hmm. what they're going to hear today really does give hope mm -hmm. because this isn't something you just learned about in school, in the classroom, mm -hmm. um, or even in your hours. It's really the story that God has brought into your life, which right. became very intimate and really gave you the ability to see things in a way that parents and only parents who are in the midst of it could understand. Yes. Yeah. So let's 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 go back there, um, and then we'll come and get to the place where you're talking even today to parents as they're engaging it. Tell me kind of what happened to you guys as you discovered your boys, a couple of your boys experiencing addiction. Well, I think sometimes it's it's uh, kind of. My people might even think it's a trite Christian saying is that and God redeems what He allows, mm -hmm. but. Um, that couldn't be more true. Um, you know, we were, um, as, our, as our oldest was a freshman in high school and, and a sophomore, and, and our middle son um, was a couple of years behind him, um, we started to experience drinking. And, um, you know, in the Park Cities, that was kind of like, well, it's kind of a rite of passage. A lot of these kids do it. and. Mm -hmm. um, 
and yet, as, as our sons did this, it led to a lot of disruptive, harmful behavior, and it, it really affected us. Um, I would call it a, uh, I, I think I've looked back at it and call it a 10-year desert. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of asking God what he was doing because I just didn't have a box for it and really didn't know what to do with it or, or how to file it. Um, but I, I would say this, now in hindsight, um, nothing could be truer than God redeeming what he had allowed in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that in that process for us, God stripped away um not being authentic. I think it's a lot, I think it's pretty easy to be inauthentic mm-hmm. to a degree and, and basically dishonest. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you can't afford to be in that community, in that world. You know, their, their lives rely on authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so um, for Lynn and me, um, it's, it was a 10-year crash course on addiction and how destructive and harmful it was and, and the good and the bad. and um, so I look back on it and I wouldn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, God has used it and is using it in such a profound way in our lives, in our marriage, in our relationships for good. Mm. When you were in the midst of the desert, to use your word, um, did you know it was a desert at the moment? Is that the way you would have described it? Or is it more just <clears throat> confusing, foggy, don't know what to do, feel so alone, isolated, not sure where to turn? All of the, everything you said. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that not knowing which ends up, and I've used the analogy before that um, I felt like I was um, in a sea, at sea in a storm in a rowboat with my family, and I, I had one member, and we had one that it was harder on, it was more difficult with, mm-hmm. uh, and I was holding that member outside the boat, trying to keep him alive, mm-hmm. but everybody in the boat's being battered. And, and there wasn't enough of me to, to know what to do or how to do. And so I felt like I was kind of, and I was, bumbling and stumbling yeah. through the process. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really hard. Yeah. And you both, though, also have, you have faith for sure. You always have. You are also well-connected in the community and full of joy. But in the midst of it, it really was chaos. You know, yes. maybe some knew a little bit about it. But I know that temptation of, Trying to hold it all together it had to be very real. Was it? Was it very real? Just like I've got to try to make this all look oh, right. Yes. How did? How did you get to the end of that? To a point where you're just like, this is beyond us. We really need help. Well, it's what you said about confusion was all that we understood at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just things weren't making sense, and so because we didn't know what addiction was, we. We had not seen it in our families of origin. Um, and to have two going through these ups and downs, we kept thinking these were just bad decisions being made by our sons and they'd grow out of it and we'd come around the corner, it'd be over, but it kept going and going and going. And, and addiction is progressive. So what the, the smaller things that happen turn into bigger things and it just keeps multiplying to the point that we found ourselves 10 years into it and mm. nothing had changed. In fact, it was getting worse. And we were being called back from trips, you know, because of um, stints in jail and ICU trips to the hospital, mm. just hanging on for life. Mm-hmm. And we, were, we would be flying back from Hawaii and all these different 
trips. It just seemed like every time we tried to go out of town, we were called back for Something another happened. emergency. And so our idea of addiction was a, a homeless, toothless man with, drinking out of a paper bag under yeah. a bridge. So we really didn't have a box for addiction. And so that was right about the time that Skip Ryan shared his story, mm -hmm. and it gave us a framework to understand this was not behavior we were looking at, although the behaviors were the symptoms of the disease, yeah. but we were looking at a, a disease that does not, logic does not figure into, and we kept trying to make it make sense and we couldn't. So to answer your question, things hit a point where physically I was just a wreck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had developed an autoimmune disease, my adrenal glands wouldn't stop running because I was on go because I thought I had to save their lives all the time. And mm -hmm. it was just, I was always trying to think of what they were going to do next. And I had to be one step ahead. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I got into the throes of, a, of codependency, mm -hmm. which is me trying to fix what only God can fix. Yeah. And it wore me out. And I felt finally one day like I'd been hit by a train mm -hmm. and I just could not do anything. So I was in enough pain to want to change. Mm -hmm. That quote that change doesn't take place unless the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. Mm -hmm. Can you say that one more time? That's really good. The um, change doesn't happen unless the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain to step out and change. Which it's amazing how much pain a person can yes. endure. Yes. And, and especially the more fearful you are mm -hmm. of the outside world knowing, right. which is a big part of our community. Right. You know, you, and there's a lot of strength and tenacity in holding it together. Mm -hmm. You can go a decade. I mean, before you hit a wall right. where you're just like, I can't do this. Right. And all that isolation because you're trying to, it's their story, so you don't want to be too public about it. But right. at the same time, you need support too. Yeah. And so that began a season of getting help for ourselves, attending recovery meetings. Mm -hmm. I did Celebrate Recovery. I did the steps at uh, the Village okay. Church, mm -hmm. did Al-Anon and primary purpose group, I was just, I had to do everything just mm -hmm. to try to figure out, look at myself mm -hmm. and to come out of that place of really being God. Mm -hmm. I was in God's way the whole time, mm -hmm. thinking I was doing what God would want me to do, yeah. but he was saying, let go and let me yeah. step in here. Which is so hard to do. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's totally counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Lynn came to that place before I did. Mm -hmm. And what that creates is friction in a marriage mm -hmm. because I thought, well, I've got to love these boys. If they, whatever happens, I'm just going to keep bailing them out, helping them, whatever. Right. And that's the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, as you get into Al-Anon, as you start learning, you're, they call, there was a book written, Loving Your Child to Death. Mm -hmm. And honestly, so what happened, the byproduct of that is that, that Lynn and I had friction in our marriage. Mm -hmm. Where you know, I you know, I, I, I think I've shared this with you is that um, I guess I lived in a delusional place a little bit. I, I think I said to Lynn one time, um, you know, I know it, it's really hard with our children, but I thank God we've got a great marriage. And her answer was 
sweetie, we, we, we don't. You know, our marriage is about that deep. Now, you've told me this story, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's really powerful. I mean, you, and you, you were shocked when you said I, I that. went to my office and wept. I literally went, and, and there's this thing you can do about just confession. There's a booklet, and I remember I spent the weekend just on my face before God just saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I, I don't know what to do. You know, my family is looks like it's falling apart. My marriage, which I, you know, in my delusional world I thought was working well, it's not. My 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 spouse is in a really hurting place, mm-hmm. and I, God, I just surrender. I don't know what to do. And you know, the thing that's so precious about the Lord that He's just been waiting. He's like, man, I love you, and I've just been waiting. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. And and He was. He was, you know, and I started to engage with Lynn where we started to go to Al-Anon and we started to work together in dealing with this uh, mess Mm -hmm. that we were in. And man, God just started to to work in such a significant way in both of our lives to take us to a deeper place with Him. So how how long... So, Lynn, you, you're coming to a place where you're, you're feeling the symptoms physically mm-hmm. of the stress and the anxiety of trying to keep the boys alive, out of trouble, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you come to a place where I've got to get help. So you start going to these STEPS programs. Mm-hmm. How long were you engaged in that alone before you said to Gil, <laughs> our marriage is this deep? you remember? I'm just curious. I don't remember. Probably. A year. So it was a good while. It yeah. wasn't right. like, I'm going to these things now. My husband's not where I'm at. It really did. And did you know, like, when you started, we're in two different places? Yes. That, that had been um, a pattern in, in our raising of our children um, because we came from different family backgrounds. Uh, mine was very um, authoritarian, and mm-hmm. his was very loose and loving and graceful. Filled, mm-hmm. not there was there weren't a lot of strong lines drawn, and mm-hmm. so those two coming together, I just got more and more authoritative, and he mm-hmm. got more and more. I, I oh, felt like I needed to counterbalance. Right, yeah. so we were trying to counterbalance each other, which ended up bringing us so far apart mm-hmm. because we were not on the same page mm-hmm. on how to deal with addiction. Because with addiction. There's so much manipulation that goes on. It's just part of the disease mm-hmm. where the boys didn't even realize they were doing it, but it's right. just part of it. And so they've got to have a strong wall of unity yeah. that's saying the same message. And if not, it keeps them in their addiction because there's always a one of us they could yeah. manipulate. Right. And so it kept it kept addiction going, you know, Maybe longer than it needed no, to. I, it, I don't know, but um. it probably did. Um, I, I do know that that when God basically brought me to a place of that brokenness, that I was open to like, Lord, I, I have no idea what to do, and so I literally went to Lynn and had to apologize and ask for forgiveness and tell her I'm ready to jump in. I said I don't have the solutions or the answers, but. Al-Anon, this stuff seems to be helping you, and so I'm ready to, to get on board because I love you, and I love these boys, and I love our family, mm-hmm. and what I've been doing is not working. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, God really did start to, in a really beautiful way, um, and, and it's, it's significant in that 
once one of my sons that really could play me well, um, who is an addiction, once I had a conversation with him, I said, listen, I've kind of come to the end now. And I love you more than life, but I'm not going to bail you out anymore. And I feel like God has given you such incredible gifts, mm -hmm. but it's your life. And so if you want to end up under a bridge drinking out of a paper sack, that's your decision. I can't live that for you anymore. So, but I'm, but I'm, I'm backing out. I love you, but I'm backing out. And later on, I found out that he had told some people, he goes, once I realized I could no longer play my dad, mm. I knew I had to get sober. Mm. And so I think that was a turning point for him. So <clears throat> that's not uncommon for even people who don't know about addiction or, or experience addiction in their family to know that it's easy for people to, to enable an addict. You know, there's in my own family, and I've shared this with you all before about one of my siblings, horrific addiction, watched what my parents did, same thing. And her disease really didn't manifest itself till she was later in life, but just the destruction. Then I became the enabler. I remember saying to her at one point, just let me control your life. Don't make a decision apart from me. Right. And then it wasn't until, you know, time in jail, you know, when nobody was going to bail her out. My parents had, were, had gone to be with the Lord by then that, you know, she came to the end of herself in a, in a different kind of way. So people who aren't in it, you know, they can read about it, hear about it, and think, mm -hmm. why, why did it take so long? Mm -hmm. well, why does it take so long? It's got to be so terrifying to have that conversation yeah. and not know what the outcome's gonna be. Well, yeah, because you, tr you truly have to reach a point of God, you clearly, you love my family more than I do. You're far more powerful than I am. And I'm basically, it's, it's I am giving, I'm, my hands are open now. These are our children, but thy will be done. Mm -hmm. You know, even if, even if, and it can end in death, mm -hmm. sadly. Even if that's the result, God, I need to back away and God allow you to be who you are. Yeah. So when you had that weekend, <clears throat> confessing to the Lord, crying out to the Lord, then you communicate to Lynn what's, what's happening. Um, what did that do for you? Was that an immediate, okay, we're together? Or was there a reluctance to trust? Do, do you remember kind of what that experience was like? Or was it kind of, no, we're really together now. Now we can move forward. I mean, it... Definitely, there was a change, mm -hmm. and it helped a lot. Um, the, I think the hurt was when we would both come together <coughs> and make a decision, and then of, of what action we were going to take or consequence was given, and then it would someone would come around and say, well, to the children, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. We're going to... And just the hurt of the constant, I felt like I was going crazy, like, wait, didn't we decide we yeah. were going to do this? And then all of a sudden, you're undoing the consequence. So it made me feel not very loved. Mm -hmm. You know, like, all of this other stuff is more important, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, the trust, it was really about the trust yeah. being broken. And so it, you know, it, it took a while, but yes, we're, it definitely was the beginning yeah. of the change. I think it's, I'm so thankful how honest you're being because 
for those who are in it right now, right now, I know they're being encouraged. They're, they, there's, if they're in the middle of it, there's probably still a lot of fear, which is understandable, and you understand that more than anyone. But the complexity of mm -hmm. all that's being destroyed, I mean, it's not just the individual's yes. struggle that right. is causing the pain, it's the relational consequences that affect even the marriage. And things like trust, like I, I know I can't trust them, but now I'm not even sure I can trust my spouse as a result of this. And I love that you said, I felt unloved, that didn't feel very loving. Because to me, that's a statement where all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I love you, yet the translation yeah. of that was not So your actions are so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that's, that's painful, but it just shows the powerful way addiction can really destroy more than just an individual, but the family, you know, and y'all described it so well. So whenever you started moving together towards understanding what it means not to enable, not to, you know, operate in a codependent relationship, uh, what were the things that y'all did or learned immediately that were like, this is really significant? Like, I can really camp here. This is what's gonna give me the strength to endure uh, really drawing the line and staying with that line? Well, for me, um, the 12 steps, the first one is I can't do it, re realizing my powerlessness. Mm -hmm. The second is God can. Mm -hmm. And the third was my hardest was, and now I'm going to let him. Yeah. Right? Because I could not imagine letting go. It just was counterintuitive to being a mother, you know. Um, but these were young men. You know, I needed to step back. And so um, once I, I started having a steady diet of letting go and realizing that I am not that powerful, I, I think a really big <coughs> thing that happened was I had a sponsor within Al-Anon, and she's my sponsor. She's still my sponsor, 10 years. I talk to her often. Um, she listened to me for four weeks every Sunday. We would have tea at La Madeline. And I just cried and told her all the things that I did wrong, all mm -hmm. the things that, that as a mom I did that must have caused all of this. Mm -hmm. Because how could, without addiction in either of our families, how could we have two of our three? I did something wrong. I had to have done something mm, wrong. That's terrible. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> So finally, after four weeks of listening to me talk about maybe I shouldn't have changed school the, their schools at this age, maybe I should have breastfed longer, you know, I mean, all these crazy th mm -hmm. things, she said, I just have one question for you. Do you really think you're that important? <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was the best, most freeing question I'd yeah. ever been asked. Wow. Because all of a sudden I realized I'm not that important. I Just little old me, I couldn't make them start drinking, yeah. right? Uh, not a perfect parent, there's no such thing. Yeah. Definitely did a lot wrong, but not enough to have caused this. I'm not that powerful. And then shortly after that, our oldest son, who had been sober about a year at this point, um, he said, and I was just in the like throes of shame, just, just like paralyzed with shame over what all I had done wrong and how I'd caused all this. He, he said, Mom, you're not doing any of us any good the way you're in shame like this. He said, you did not hold a gun to my head and make me start drinking. Mm -hmm. It is on me 
completely on me. Mm-hmm. You did not do it. So those two powerful statements really began to turn me around mm-hmm. to believing that, okay, I can let go and mm-hmm. let, let God because I'm not doing a good job. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to save their lives. I'm not going to get this to stop. Mm-hmm. And so that just began my trusting God enough to do what, whatever he was going to do, whatever it looked like. One of the things I love about the way you're describing it is it began my trusting God. You mm-hmm. talked about having a steady diet. Mm-hmm. And I think where I want to go with that is it's not a one-time mm-hmm. statement, even a great question like your sponsor asked you. Mm-hmm. Those are huge moments, mm-hmm. but then it's the steady, daily, right. hour-by-hour <clears throat> remembering the truth. Is that fair to say? Yes. So what what did that look like for you? You talked about meeting her once a week, um, but what did it look like day, day to day? And there was a lot of shame that had to be put to death. Right. What did that look like? What did you do? What did you read? How did you pray? I read a lot of good books and, um, and of course, prayed a, a lot, journaled and journaled and journaled, just giving God all of this, just mm-hmm. laying it all out there, putting everything in the God box, saying, mm-hmm. what do I have control over and what do I not? And of course, the, the column of what I don't was always huge. Yeah. And I can, I'm only, can only control what myself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what God shows me. And um, so it was just a constant calling my sponsor, tell, getting her to walk me through. She'd ask great questions when I was tempted to jump in, jump back in, yeah. try to fix or do. What is your motive, Lynn? Where, where are you going with that? Um, and, and she would get me back to the point of, okay, wait, this is God's, not mine. This mm-hmm. is God's. So it had to be a steady diet because mm-hmm. I couldn't break all of that mm-hmm. overnight. Um, but lots of journaling, going to meetings weekly, um, sometimes twice a week. I was just driven, like the pain had reached a point where I had to change. Yeah. So I was driven. Back to that statement you made earlier, yes. the pain was greater, mm-hmm. and therefore the motivation of moving forward. Right. Gil, how about you in regards to a similar path? What, what statement was made or questions were made or what practices, practices did you begin to employ for that steady diet? I think for me, it was God giving me a, just the clear recognition that this was so out of my league and that the necessity was really to not give him lip service, but to say, God, here it is. I can't do this. And I think one of the beautiful things that happened for me is I adore, I've always adored her, still adore her, Mm -hmm. but I felt like we lived separate lives. And a lot of that was on me. You know, I had work, my stuff, I'm just trying to keep all this stuff going. She's doing her deal and dealing with the boys some and Al-Anon and all. But I think after God kind of broke me and brought me to a place of like, here it is. God started saying, you and Lynn are one. You need to be in this together. So you need to be, whatever she's doing, you need to encourage her and love her and come alongside. Mm-hmm. And so we started to live life together. Mm-hmm. And I felt like in, in Al-Anon and the different things with our boys, we started being involved together. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as I said, I think, Lynn was um, working at uh, Gaston House, which is a sober living house for young men. 
And God put it on my heart. I thought, God, what is, if I am to be in life with Lynn in this process, what does that look like for me? How, how does that work? And one thing hit me. I thought, you know, I've got two boys that have been at Gaston House in Dallas, and there are guys from all over the country that come in for this. If my boys were in another city doing this, what would I want? And I thought, well, I wish that some family would open their home and give them a home-cooked meal mm-hmm. and have some good fellowship with the, of the, of the Word. And so I started Monday Night Supper Club. Mm-hmm. And um, I would invite these for Gaston graduates. These are guys that still lived in the area. They'd gone to Gaston House. They'd gone to Gaston House. They graduated, and mm-hmm. now they're in the area. And we would have, on Monday nights, I bet we'd have 15 to 20 guys come over. And we'd fix mashed potatoes, roast beef. I mean, just it was a big mess. But he said we would. Is that true? Well, she, we yes. Would? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure uh, he's taking on. that one thing very seriously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, what I learned in that is when we would have our time together, these guys were so brutally honest that it was it was just I stood back. I was like, you can't say that out loud. And it was like, no. They're just being authentic. They're being real, and I'm not. And it brought me to a place of like, I'm just going to kind of let the walls come down and be real because I know I'm a big varsity mess. Mm-hmm. And um, in a different way, I have addictions in different areas in different ways. And so we're all in this together. And um, there's something really beautiful about letting the walls come down because I know for Lynn and me, when we started getting more and more into this, all of a sudden, neighbors, people down the street, pe- people would start f- have the freedom to come to us mm-hmm. and talk to us about their child. Yeah. That was, and and so it, it was really pretty amazing and 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 really rich. I, I think it it brought our our whole marriage, our whole relationship with the Lord to a better place. Mm-hmm. Which is part of why you would say what you said earlier. <laughs> I wouldn't take wouldn't, it back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And. And I know that's hard for some people to hear. It's like, well, come on. Mm-hmm. But they don't really understand the power of God's rescue, of his mm-hmm. presence when we really do come to the end of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And today the story is beautiful, you know, in terms of what God's done in your family, um, which is, is awesome. It's what you pray for. It's what you've been through. Lynn, talk about <clears throat> from your now, you know, the ministry that you have, the work that you do with families that are in the midst of the crisis that you guys were once in, what are things that you see almost every time with every family that would be really important for listeners to hear if they're in the middle of this or wondering if they might be heading towards this? I, w- I would say don't do it alone, mm-hmm. that um, God created us to have fellowship and community and to check in and counsel and really research and and have a core group of people, even if at first you can't share too openly, but you've got to have a core group that you trust. And we had that. We were so blessed in our church to have several couples that we've been in fellowship with for, we have now for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so they walked beside us. I mean, they... And prayed us through. Oh, just, I remember when I was at the worst point, kind of a, in the fetal position on the couch, and they all the women came over and took down my Christmas decorations. I couldn't even undo the Christmas tree and pack everything up. Yeah, and they just all 
cleaned out my refrigerator and I just sat on the couch. I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the beginning of my growth. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to be in that much pain. But um, anyway, just to have fellowship as you're going through it because mm-hmm. there's such a tendency to isolate. Yeah. And then you don't know what you don't know. You know, it's um, it's hard to not, to figure out if this is just behavior issues or if this is leading to addiction or, you know, so it, it takes a few voices in your life to kind of... Get the perspective mm-hmm. that helps. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you think it's... Um, well, let me ask you this. What's What are signs that it's moving from just bad behavior, bad choices to addiction? Is there a way of knowing? And some people might not, you know, ever want to go that route so they would assume it's never going to be that's just behavior Mm -hmm. versus some might be, you know, my child got drunk last weekend, he's an addict or she's an addict. Right. 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 What do you look for? What would be some of the signs that you would say are important to pay attention to? Well, there's... Stages. There's the experimental stage, you know, the drinking in high school kind of thing, um, smoking pot, that sort of thing. Then it moves to abuse. And when it moves to abuse, you start to see more and more consequences. You start to see arrests and jail and hospital trips and lost jobs and lost relationships. But it still hasn't moved completely across into addiction. And then when it does those consequences that might have happened one out of 10 times to grow to 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's just, it always is gonna end this yes. way because of its, its Life's not manageable. Right, mm-hmm. and then um, a, a lot of times it reaches the point where that person cannot stop because it's a, it's a body reaction, right? Mm-hmm. When, when it's in their system, they reach a point they can't stop using. Um, Which is really hard for people that don't have addiction Mm-hmm. or addiction in themselves or even in their family to understand. Right. Anybody can stop, right? Right. And, and we know that's not true, <laughs> that there really is chemistry in the brain that's, you know, at work against the body. Mm-hmm. And But if you don't know that or you don't know much about, about addiction, you would just think right. it's sin and you made a bad choice. Exactly. Stop doing that. That's what we thought yeah. when we kept Me saying, too, with just my own stop. Sibling. Just stop. Why did you stop? Well, you know, that I was going to say that our oldest son um, had graduated from college and was working um, in Oxford, Mississippi, where he went to school. And he called and said, I need to go to treatment. And Lynn and I were like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, in my fraternity and all, all through college, I was able to drink and make my grades and keep life together. But I've graduated. And now a lot of my friends that did that, they don't do it. like I, And I can't stop. And so there, I have a problem. So we were fortunate with him that he realized and told us yeah. because we, we couldn't see him. He's in Mississippi. Right. Um, but he realized all my fraternity brothers, have got, we've all gotten our jobs. They are able to stop drinking, and I can't. Yeah. So he recognized the difference in, that he had crossed that line. Yeah. Mm. Wow. But that's, you know— that doesn't always happen. Right. I would say it's pretty rare. Yeah, that's it's really, very it's, rare. Yeah, mm-hmm. another way that it becomes realized. It's not necessarily their own awareness. Wow. So in the work that you're doing now, what are um, what are things that you know you're saying to parents, either in the role you have or just Gil, you're saying as a as a dad who's been through it, to give them hope? 
what's some of the, the, the messages of hope that you're giving that really are meaningful in the moment, not just one day it might turn out well, but no, here's, here's the hope that you can have. And I think the hope is just being able to see others who have walked through it because it's really hard to, to have hope in the middle of yeah. it falling down around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we had to look at was just people that were actually smiling and laughing, but their lives were, you know, things hadn't changed. Mm-hmm. But they had this freedom from... You know, we were so stuck. Like, I felt like I was treading water and I couldn't move forward in life or have fun or laugh or until they were okay. Mm-hmm. But how wrong I was that God expected me or wanted me to have the freedom to move forward mm-hmm. and to laugh and to enjoy life and to, you know, and to let whatever was going on with them be in the God box, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think for encouragement would be for parents that know that it's addiction they're dealing with um, to start working on themselves. And I would say from an encouragement standpoint, um, you know, all three of our sons are happily married to girls that love the Lord. Mm -hmm. All of them are in church. Um, You know, I always say today, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just been a miraculous thing. And, and, I would say for our two sons that are had been an addiction that are now sober, um, their lives are so much richer and better. Mm-hmm. If, if they could just be hard drinkers, their life wouldn't be nearly what it is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it just take it off the table. Mm-hmm. And then I've also seen so many just incredibly great young men that have come out of Gaston that are still living in this area or living in Alabama or, or up north, wherever, they're still sober. Mm-hmm. They're married. They're having families. Yeah. And and there's, it's just, and a lot of them are walking with the Lord. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say one thing this does is it really brings people to the end of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so God uses this oftentimes to to bring a relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. And that, and they, they really live reliant too. Mm-hmm. If you could say, Gil, one thing to a dad that's in the early stages of this realization, what would you say to him? And then let him ask you the same thing about to a mother. I would say get your wife and and get on the same page mm-hmm. and develop a game plan. Don't just kind of let it happen. Um, you, you know, you can, as I say, if there are some books you could read together, um, and, and really and truly don't enable, cut that stuff off. I mean, it's, it's, it's as soon it's earlier you can do it, the better, the earlier you can say, you know what, we're not going to put up with that. You you don't have a place here in our home if you're going to be doing that. And we're not going to pay for your lifestyle. So you're going to be on the streets and, Again, that sounds kind of cold, and but that's really the most, the hardest thing to do, and the most loving thing to do. Yeah. So because it's so hard, and it is so hard, I, I can't imagine, you know, yeah. having to do that. Um, how important is it to have support outside oh. of just the marriage, even, to do that? You know, you need somebody else speaking in your life saying you need to do that, you can do that, you must do that. Mission oh, yeah. critical. Yeah. You you yeah. got to have that. It's like Lynn was saying. You know, we had friends. It's 
um, that really help carry us yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. And that's the body of Christ, yeah. you know. It is. And what I, we're here to do. I think that's just so significant. And at the end of this episode, I'll just share a website, you know, that you guys can reach out for help with um, if you need it, because we do, you know. And yet that particularly in a, a culture where, you're, you know, appearance matters and you're trying to keep it all together, that idea of we're the only ones or nobody can know can really wreak havoc or prolong you know, the help that could come if we could just come to the end of ourselves a little sooner and say, help me, you know, this is what's going on. Yeah, and I think too, people need to not kid themselves. We're all big messes. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people I meet with guys that are coming out of addiction or whatever, I, I'm here a large, large mess in process yeah. by the grace of God, right. you know? And so it's, it, <laughs> to, to not, it's, it's pride. Mm-hmm. You know, pride goes before the fall. Yeah, and that can be really hard. Yeah, Lynn, what about you? What's one thing you would want to say to a mom that's in the midst of it? I feel like I'm copying what he said, but that's just okay. to, you know, talk to other people. To um, I think I, a big thing that I learned early on was, you know, when Simon was having a dinner party and Jesus was there and Mary was washing his feet with her hair and... Um, Simon was like, if you just, if only you knew who, you know, she was Jesus. And, um, and Jesus said, um, do you, is that when he said, do you mm-hmm. love me? Or what did well, he say? To, to Peter later, he said, do you love me after he, you know, had rejected him or denied that he knew him. Mm-hmm. But he's talking, he talks about what a beautiful thing she's doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that she knows, oh, he asked her, um, he who's been forgiven much mm-hmm. loves much. And she knew where she was mm-hmm. spiritually. She knew she was forgiven much. Mm-hmm. And Simon felt like, well, my sins are more palatable compared to hers. Right. And so I found myself like Simon that mm-hmm. I was looking at the mess our sons were making mm-hmm. and they're just awful. And I can't believe they're doing this when really I'm just equally a mess. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I finally realized that, growing up in a, somehow had this message that I was supposed to act a certain way, that I was supposed to present myself, that I, you know, it was all about people pleasing. And so God was using all of this to tear down those walls for me to be able to say, I am equally broken, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's embarrassing to say I didn't know that, mm-hmm. but I really didn't. Yeah. And now I do. And yeah. so, and what I'm finding is everyone is broken. Everyone. And it's just like you drive by and you look at all these houses and behind every door, things are going on that you yeah. don't know. Um, and so just to realize we were not the only ones walking through this tragedy mm-hmm. was huge. And it just, it helped me have a totally different perspective and to see God in a new light. Yeah. I just I don't know why I had known the Lord my whole life, came to know him when I was nine, but I still thought I was supposed to do do this life, mm-hmm. um, that he was watching me to see how I did it. And then this just opened my eyes to, no, 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 John 15, 5, uh, he's the vine. I'm, I'm a branch, right? Yeah. He's going to bear the fruit, that I don't have to make the fruit bear myself, that he's going to do it. And I, I know that sounds... 
um, elementary, but it, it somehow came true to me, and God just has really changed our outlook. And just not being, being able to look at a situation or a family and not judge, but to know there's a huge story in everyone's life, yeah. right? You know, and and I have I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I have forever. Um, it's it's very interesting how God, uh, the thing that really flips the switch is faith. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like without faith, it's impossible to please God. So okay, God, what is that? So well, Hebrews eleven one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that that wherever you are in the process, wherever you're walking in this journey, it's really saying, God, I'm just giving this to you by faith because I, don't ha- I, don't, I have nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, this, and then specifically, man, I'm gonna be praying this. This is what is my heart desire. Mm-hmm. And, and, and live that, yeah. just wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. Just live crying out to God, saying, God, this pleases you. And that's what I want to do. So here it is. And, and pray specifically. I love the way you guys have not missed the, the profound work, not only in your son's lives, but also in yours. And I, I love the way you're describing it, Lynn. It's almost like it's a surprise. I, I thought I should have known that. But that's, that's the power of the enemy. You know, it's so easy to think he only works in the ways of the dark things like addiction. But, oh, I'm not sure addiction is his masterpiece. I think his masterpiece is more the pharisaical, yes. almost yes. looks like it. Because it's harder to come to the end of yourself when you're good yeah. and righteous as opposed to, you know, wow, this is a pretty big mess. We're all a mess. Yeah. And yet... That same passage you're reflecting on is Jesus did not come uh, for the healthy, but for the sick. He did not come to save the righteous, but you know, the sick. And we aren't just sick, you know. Apart from Christ, we're dead, you know. Um, and then His grace is all that can save us. And it didn't take more grace to rescue someone who's addicted to drugs or alcohol than it does somebody who's addicted to their own self righteousness. It required the same cross, the same blood the same resurrection, all the gospel. And you guys live that out beautifully. And um, I really am, I'm very grateful to see that in your life. I know that um, as people watch this, you you may not have any issues with addiction in your life or in the life of your family, or it could be a different addiction. And we're gonna be talking about those in episodes to come. After this series on addiction to alcohol and other drugs, we're gonna be looking at, at sexuality and God's design for sex. and all the different addictions that can come with pornography and things like that. Um, we know that our broken hearts and minds can find themselves, you know, looking for satisfaction and security and so many other things. And we're going to be talking about those. But on this topic specifically, if, if you're in a place where you don't have anybody to talk to, um, you don't have a small group, um, you don't have a pastor, you might not be in this city, but we would love for you to reach out to us at deeplight at pcpc.org. If you reach out to us through an email, or you can call our church office, 214-224-2500, somebody will call you back and we'll do everything we can to help get you in touch with people like the Sheehans, who would be delighted to walk along with you to show you what next steps might look like. 
more than anything, we want to communicate that there really is hope in the living God, hope in the person Jesus Christ. It's not a cliche. It's not just a Hallmark card statement. It's the reality that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. That's back to the John 15 text. And he knows everything about you, everything you're going through. His omniscience, there's nothing he can learn. And when you talked about a steady diet, I kept thinking about just the attributes of God that we can be reminded of as we go through these things. Like, he's all present. You couldn't be all present with your boys. He's all powerful. You're not all powerful. I loved how you said, when I made the list of the things I could control versus those things I can't, that list is really, really large. And it's large for all of us. But God has the power and ability truly to rescue us, not only from a moment of despair and destruction, but for all eternity. So again, reach out to us at deeplight at pcpc.org or call our church office 214-224-2500. We'd be happy to walk alongside you. Lynn and Gil, thank you so much for taking time to share with all that are going to watch and listen to this podcast. Um, I'm very grateful for God's favor in your life and just the freedom He's given you to share His power and His presence and His love. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. We would love for you to be our guest this Sunday morning as we gather together for worship at 8, 9.30, or 11 a.m. We are located in the Uptown Dallas area at the corner of Oaklawn Avenue and Wycliffe Avenue. To find out more, please visit pcpc.org.